Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, September 15th. London has cemented its place amongst the world's most global cities. This has boosted its reputation not only as a creative hub, but also as a community where creatives working in sectors from fashion and media to music and art can support each other. London has a rich diasporic culture. It's a space where you have the opportunity to build a community around you. Something I like about here as well is the community and the way in which people support each other. It's just a really special thing. With the communities that we're able to forge here in London, we're able to kind of help one another to kind of get along in the industry, which is rough and tough, to say the least. This week, as London Fashion Week kicks off, I invited four exciting Londoners shaping the city's creative scene, fashion designer Jawara Elaine, conceptual artist Amber Pinkerton, musician Bradley Miller, and Dazed editorial director Casey and Mayers, to join me on the BOF podcast to discuss their experiences of living, working, and creating in London, and to share their advice for other creatives looking for their big break. Here are Jawara, Amber, Bradley, and Casey on the BOF podcast. Well, hello, 
I have such an exciting group of guests with me here for this week's edition of the BOF podcast. London Fashion Week is just a few weeks away. And the other day, we all had quite an interesting lunch about the role that a global city like London plays in the creativity that we're seeing rising all around the world. And because the conversation over lunch was so compelling, we've been more ambitious this week about not having just one guest or two, but four guests. And just to kick us all off, I wanted you all to introduce yourselves and how your personal lived experience, however you it is you define that, fuels your own creativity. So Casey, why don't we start with you? Sure. I'm Casey Mayers. I'm editorial director at Dazed, and I've been there for just under a year and a half now. I think what really got me into fashion and into style in general was dancehall. That's exactly what it was. And the culture, the music, my family, my cousins, going out and just having to think about what you're going to wear and how you're going to present yourself and seeing the clips. I remember my cousin She'd fly out to Jamaica, she'd come back with DVDs of all the dancers going on out there. And we'd sit there and watch them. And I'd always be interested in the outfits. It was always about the look. It was always about how someone was dressed. And I think that followed me throughout my life. And so even to this day, whenever there's anything that goes on, good, bad, before I can even rest my head to go to sleep, I've got to think about what I'm going to wear that next day. Because it really does affect my mood. And I think that stems back to dancehall and I want to dress a certain way and look a certain way. I want to feel a certain way. And I think that's how I got my start in fashion. I think like with most people, they thought they wanted to be a designer. And I went down that route, realized I was not that at all. I was always good at writing. And so when I did a short course at St. Martin's, they realized that I could actually write and pointed me in the right direction. So I ended up doing a fashion journalism degree there. And here I am today, long story short. Thank you, Casey. And Amber, let's move on to you. My introduction is going to be a bit more biographical, but um, I'm Amber Pinkerton. I'm from Kingston, Jamaica, born and raised. I'm based in London seven years now. I am a photographic moving image and conceptual artist. I started photography at around 13 years old and always wanted to work in fashion. My work, I guess, kind of exists between the context of fine art and luxury fashion. Those are the spaces I work within. And I like to focus on social commentary, sociopolitical context, Caribbean culture, focusing on like identity and humanity in Jamaica specifically and its diaspora. More recently, I've gone into more autobiographical themes in more of my recent work, like personhood. I'm quite interested in the photograph as object as well, installation, although none of those things are in the public eye yet. I'm represented by Lolo Land Artists and Alice Bat Gallery. And I recently graduated from University of Westminster, studied photography there as well. I guess my introduction to fashion or my introduction to the industry would be kind of three key points. My first editorial with Nell Kalonji in 2020 for Days, 
my New York Times feature in 2020 as well. And also my first commercial campaign, which was Gucci by Chris Simmons. So yeah, that, that's about everything. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. Um, Jawara, wh- why don't you go next? I'm Jawara. I was born in Jamaica, in Mandeville, which is like the mountainsides of Jamaica. Very green, very lush, very mystical space. Moved from Jamaica when I was 12 to the Cayman Islands. Very different landscape. The Cayman Islands is very white in space. The way that the houses are painted are very clean. It's very crisp. And then I moved from the Cayman Islands when I was 19 to move to London to study fashion. And I've been in London ever since. I actually started doing fashion since I was in Jamaica. I remember when I was growing up, I always brought a book with me everywhere. I was a very introverted and shy child. And I had a sort of anxiety as it relates to speaking and communicating. So I always had this book with me that I found to be very comforting. And I actually kept that practice up until now of just always having something with me to just sketch and draw and put my thoughts into. So I did that when I was in Jamaica. Then I moved to the Cayman Islands. And there's kind of where I started actually practicing fashion because it wasn't until I was like, 13 until I realized that what my interests are were in clothing the body and, and designing. And just like Casey and actually coming from that culture where dance hall is such a big thing and there's such a huge pride in the way that you dress yourself. Because in a sense, the luxury is not in how much things cost, but how well you can put yourself together. So coming from that culture of like thinking about the intricacies of social preservation and social commentary when you come from a space of nothing and how that in and of itself style becomes a luxury. Having that sort of ingrained within me from the time I was in Jamaica, I think kind of really gave me an eye even when I moved into the Cayman Islands space, which have a different relationship with fashion. Things are a lot freer, a lot easier. Also in Cayman, we have a huge corporate society. So a lot of people, the way that we dress there is very corporate. It's very much like you see a lot of suits, you see a lot of button downs. So yeah, I think there's kind of like a really stark difference between the culture of dress in Jamaica and then being introduced to this new way of thinking about clothes in Cayman. A lot of what goes into my work is like really the elements of my identity that I existed in when I was in Jamaica and the same for the Cayman Islands and now coming to London, like really pulling from my Rastafarian background, pulling from the pirate folklore within the Cayman Islands and within Jamaica as well. And also looking at how London's punk culture and history has pulled from those histories as well. I think the combination of all these things is what really defines the work that I do. Thank you. Bradley, you're last. I'm Bradley. I put music out under control. I'm a musician and producer and DJ from South London, by the way, of Jamaica and Montserrat. Yeah, I guess my identity fuels my creativity. It's just to do with where I'm coming from, really. So it's like growing up, I had a lot of music in the house from my dad's record collection, anything from like revival to, to soca to jazz, blues, that. And then growing up, like I guess, in a city in London, that's just what influenced the sounds really. And like when it comes to me and fashion, it would just be nightlife really more than anything else. So like 
dancehall had a big impact on me growing up as well as like still does now really and um but as well as that it's just like stepping out like one thing about London is that like from when you're going school times if you've got kickers and you just do it back and it's how you put it together like Gerard was just saying as well so it's like that presentation has always been important and that's also like kind of circled back in how I've done like artwork for releases or you know if I'm doing like press shots or whatever for whatever I'm doing it's just always been the visual side of my output is definitely influenced by like my identity as well as like nightlife and like my friendship circles in London for sure. Got it. You know you all independently mentioned dance hall and we have listeners of this podcast all around the world some of whom might not even really understand what dance hall music refers to. Who wants to give a go at explaining what's the significance of dance hall and how do you describe that genre of music and where it came from? Casey, and you, you're the first one who raised it. Like, how do you describe that genre of music? I'm going to describe it as how I experience it as opposed to textbook definition. I don't think I'm like an expert on it, but I definitely experienced it and have been my entire life. I think dancehall is so expressive. I think dancehall is the kind of music that is in your face. What it really is, is kind of an evolution of reggae. So like how we have rap and we have now grime and how things have evolved, dancehall is an evolution of that. And the difference between dancehall and reggae is that dancehall embraces patois and kind of embraces being a bit more lewd, a bit more crass, a bit more vulgar and doing it in a way that is just kind of in your face and unashamedly so. It's not about kind of bowing down to society's expectations. It's about, you know, if I feel mad, I feel mad. If I want to talk about the politicians doing all kinds of bad things, I'm going to speak about that and I'm going to speak about it openly. If I'm horny, I'm going to make a song about being horny and they just do it. And, and I think that's what's quite beautiful about dance. So there's something very beautiful about the ways in which people express themselves, unashamedly so. And I think that's informed a lot of my creativity, but also just the way I go about life. I think it makes us quite vocal and not ashamed to kind of speak up and feel empowered, feel very, very empowered when it's a dancehall. I think that's very, very helpful, actually. And, you know, what's so interesting about a city like London is that you have these traditions that come from other places in the world, whether it be a musical genre or attitude like dance hall or in my culture, you know, Bhangra music or, you know, the Indian beats. London is this place where people come from all over the world and all of this stuff kind of collides with each other, which is what I find so exciting about London because I can learn, not only can I express my own creativity through things that I grew up with that feel really genuine and unique to my own experience and identity, I can also experience and appreciate what London has to offer in terms of all the other cultures that are present in this kind of rich tapestry in the city. And I guess that's one of the things that London Fashion Week has always really been a part of. You know, I think London has historically played this role in fashion as being like the petri dish of where creativity and some of the most interesting ideas are first born. And so I guess my next question for all of you, and maybe Jawara, we could start with you this time, because, you know, you're 
You're the only like, I guess, traditional or non-traditional fashion designer on the call. Everyone's mentioned their link to fashion as part of their work. You're doing your first solo show at London Fashion Week this season. Like as a fashion designer, what is it that you find you get from basing yourself in a city like London? And how is that added to the way you think about your design process? I think one, I guess, easy answer to the question of what and how sort of London makes sense within the space of my work is that my own history is wrapped up in London's history. The history of the Caribbean is so ingrained within the space of London fashion. If we think about like style and if we think about the people who have come before us who have created sort of these moments of not fashion, because fashion always looked towards culture for inspiration. But I think that London has is a city that has a rich diasporic culture. And it's a space also where you can actually take up space. It's a space where you have the opportunity to build a community around you, which I think not a lot of other cities have. I think what London does is that it gives you a space to build a community to lift you up. Whereas in other cities, it's so much more difficult, no matter how good you are, to sort of have this space of network that is kind of in support of you and your work and being able to find people who relate to your experience. I think London being such a vast city gives that space of these multiple different cultures that are existing on top of each other and inspiring each other and feeding off of each other and inspired by each other. What you said about London offering a community is key, especially now. And I think you're right. It, it definitely does offer that. And that is what kind of separates it from some of the other cities around the world. Obviously, there's a cost of living. Obviously, there's austerity. There's all kind of things going on. But I think with the communities that we're able to forge here in London, we're able to kind of help one another and we're able to kind of put each other in positions that are favorable and that will help one another to get along in an industry which is rough and tough, um, to say the least. I think it's it's really important that we not only make these connections, but we kind of continue to encourage them. And I, I have recently got a mentee, but I'm always telling him, you need to really find your community, hone in on that and just work with each other and build with each other and create with each other and stay true to what you want to communicate and what you want to create. Because it's that individual eye and that uniqueness that you will have is powerful, it's important, it's interesting. I wouldn't get too caught up in trying to be like somebody else or do something, like do what you guys are doing. Like I always say, he's always kind of interested in what I'm doing. And I'm like, but I'm interested in what you're doing. You know, my job is to kind of reflect what you guys are doing out there in the magazine. Like you're way cooler than me and you have no idea. You're far cooler than me. You're younger than me as well. And I think that's kind of what London has to offer, that community. And a lot of people don't really tap into that. It's very easy to be in a big city and feel like an individual, feel like you're kind of dredging through things alone. And what you got to do is look around you and find those like-minded individuals, which I feel like everyone in this court has found and will one another up and create and do amazing things. I feel like it's a tale as old as time. You look at any successful person, they've got an amazing team of people around them. And probably they've been around working together for years together. So yeah, I think what you've tapped into that is super, super important. Thinking as well of the history of London, I just want to add that like historically, I think now we describe it as community, but 
back in the day, if we think about subcultures as well, it's kind of an indicator of how this city being so vast, how it actually creates these microchasms that allow you to actually find these spaces where the people around you actually have a shared experience that you can amplify. And then, and you're no longer just speaking for yourself, but you're speaking for all of the other groups of people who feel the same way that you feel. Yeah, I think London is really special for me because I'm coming from a third world country where we don't have this type of access. And I think people really take it for granted I mean, I think it's amazing that you can literally go to an event and run into all these amazing people and everyone is kind of like one or two persons away. Of course, the history, I think, plays a huge part, the colonial history, especially between Jamaica and London. And when I came here, I was really oblivious to what was going on, obviously, because I'm coming from a black country where the social issues are completely different. It's more focused on class and colorism. And I think coming here was like a huge eye opener for me. And I think everyone should really take advantage of the access we have to everyone. And so there's always kind of a link. I think because now I have a personal experience in London and in Jamaica, I try to kind of bridge the gap or be between where I think people in both demographics need to feel celebrated, like they're able to reach to a certain extent. I think I'm, that's also something I'm used to seeing in like the community in Jamaica, people being able to catapult to a certain place or excel in academia or financially or have all these things that I think people don't have access to here. Yeah, it's just really important in both social contexts to make people feel just uplifted and seen. And something I like about here as well is, yeah, as everyone has said, like the community and the way in which people support each other, it's just a really special thing. Yeah, you know, you're all using the word community, which I think is a word that we hear more and more as it pertains to fashion. But then there's also the system, the structures, the establishment. And this is maybe a slightly provocative question, but is the reason community is so important is because the system, the structures, and the establishment don't necessarily make space for people from the diasporas that we're talking about? It's a very easy answer. Absolutely. I think the community is so important because you have so many incredibly talented people that need to lead on community because it's actually so hard to even get a foot into the industry. And in a certain instance, for some, you probably shouldn't even try to get in. You should just do what you do and find a way to build a space around you that if you're starting a business, build a community around your business. If you're starting a practice, build a community around your practice. Speak to the people who actually, first and foremost, can understand what you are trying to create and what you're trying to express. In marketing, you call it first adopters. When you are building a, a business, just go to the people that actually are the ones that really will get the idea, the ones that really will understand where you're coming from, and the one who can find a space of value within the honesty of whatever it is that you're trying to do. 
And inevitably, I mean, the system is also always changing, but historically has never been a space that has welcomed Black and people of color and anyone that has been othered. Bradley, in the music scene, which you are a part of here in London, and which, as you explained earlier, intersects with fashion, is it the same? I would say so with my experience, for sure. No one's really mentioned, like, I guess the word collaboration. Because with collaboration, it kind of allows you to bypass like those structures and those systems and those other things. So that's that's kind of what's happened for me. Like I wouldn't have the career that I have today without working with my friends to make things happen as well. So yeah, that's where like I guess community and world building and all the stuff you were just saying, Joara, about like marketing what those first steps are. Like that's how you kind of like do that to the system that's there and just do your thing anyway and, and make things happen. And like, I guess for these systems and infrastructures and like archaic systems to kind of sustain, they kind of have to adapt with what we're doing because this is what's happening right now. And for them to be relevant or seen to be functioning, they have to like, they're supporting these things that are happening in their city for them to even remain relevant. We'll be right back with more on the BOF Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. 
So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm so glad you raised the point of collaboration because I think that's in a way the other element of being in a place like London offers is, you know, a fashion designer can collaborate with an artist or a musician or a photographer or a writer, and you can create that. There's this kind of like intermingling of different ideas and energies that creates stuff that individually you couldn't create. That's the best kind of collaboration. Bradley, is there a, a collaboration that you can give us an eye into that really helped you in that way, that opened up your creativity, something that couldn't have happened on your, on your own? Well, yeah, pretty much everything, <laughs> to be honest, like to do with me anyway. Like um, there were times when like Dwarra was doing a film once, made some music for the film. Same with um, things, my own projects that I've put out with Robin, I've done all the creative direction for the project, from the photography to like the concept of bringing the music to life. And then on my second EP Zero, I worked with um, Campbell and he done the creative direction for that as well, which kind of brought all that to life as well. So with all the stuff I've been able to do in fashion, it was just from working with friends to kind of make that happen. I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you, I mean, and it's interesting, Casey, in that you mentioned that you have a mentee. I mean, I don't think it's ever too early to start giving advice to younger people. It's also true that you're never too old to need to take advice from people who have more experience. I know that I'm probably much older than all of you, but I also still really benefit from people who can kind of shine a light on things for me or help help me to see things differently. And when you look around the industry, there's some pretty phenomenal success stories out there. Maybe even people that you haven't been able to meet personally, but who whose example and path-breaking creativity has opened up opportunities for other young people that come from marginalized community. And I think particularly about people like Virgil or, you know, Ib Kamara, whose career has just gone from strength to strength, or even someone like Pharrell. I mean, what do people like that represent to you? And, and do you all have mentors and advisors who kind of help you guide the way? Casey, and why don't we start with you this time? For sure. So my first real mentor that I had was Kenya Hunt, funny enough, and she's now editor-in-chief at L. It was my tutor at St. Martin's that introduced me to her when I was maybe in my second year, about to go into my third year, which is a placement year. And she has a mentorship like group actually called Room Mentorship. So it's a few of us. Well, it started out quite small. Now it's quite a few of us. And she just kind of took me under her wing and has helped me in all kinds of ways. I mean, even when I started this job, I remember calling her like, hey, like, <laughs> I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some help for sure. And she was there, you know. She's a mother of two. She's a wife. She's an editor-in-chief. She's all of these things and finds time to still call, to still text. 
And that in itself is always so inspiring to me. What's the best piece of advice she gave you, Casey? I just think every everything, every advice she gives me is great. There's been so many over the years. But I think it's not the things that she tells me. I think it's the things that she does. I think it's, it's the actions and, and the way that she she mentors me is where I learn the most from. It's those actions. It's not necessarily what she says. It's what she does. And I think I've learned the most from that, just how she navigates the industry and how she navigate, even still as editor-in-chief, still finding time to run room, still finding time to check in on me. And even at Fashion Week, I run into her, she's like, I'm so proud of you, Casey. And I'm just like, she's still that person, even all these years, across all of these years, she's still kind of rooting for me and so supportive. And I kind of want to make sure that I'm that person to somebody else. And I think that's why, even though when I was first approached, there was my friend Alvin, who was like, I really want you to mentor. And I was a bit like, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. But then I also was like, in my head, I want to be able to be the Kenya for somebody else. That Kenya was for me, or that Judith was for me, or that Ib was for me. Ib probably wouldn't say he's my mentor, but he's been so supportive of me. So in a way he is. And I've been really enjoying that process. And I think... One of the best things I've learned, actually, is from Judith. And I think what I learned is kind of, you want to make noise. You don't want to chase fashion. I think it's fashion's job to chase. You don't want to chase fashion. You just kind of want to make noise and do your thing because fashion will chase you. As a creative, you want to create. You want to inspire. You want to say something. You want to lead. You want to empower. And you want fashion to kind of find you and follow you. It's fashion's job to follow, quite literally. So you never want to chase it. And I've never that's never left me, ever, ever, ever. I think that's ingrained in me to kind of stay true to you and to kind of let fashion do the following, let it do the chasing. You just do the work. And what about these big totemic role models like Pharrell and, and Virgil and others who kind of help to break down walls? I mean, what do those, having those people at the top of an industry, a powerful cultural industry like fashion, like what does that represent? Well, Firstly, I think we're all living in a really interesting time. I think it's much more, I don't want to say easier. It still takes a lot of hard work, but I think as like a marginalized group of people, it's much easier to accelerate today than it was before. For me, well, I always feel like my position in fashion is kind of with my toe in a bit, but They've all created such a cultural phenomenon and impact. I think for me personally, they've shown me that you can be multifaceted. You can kind of do anything you want. You can completely shift the landscape if you want. And I think it's kind of changed opportunities for all of us, really. Yeah, it's really inspiring. And I think it also shows the cultural impact of the black community as well and like our place in fashion and the effect that we have on the entire industry really. Often I think in the industry we we almost have to be legitimized by someone to be taken seriously or to be seen as valid. That has changed a lot. I think people are looking with like a much more genuine eye than they were before. Yeah, and moving away from more tokenistic representation and box ticking to something that's just really more about merit and contribution. Jawara, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I think we're living in a really interesting time as well because of the internet. 
And because of the internet, it's really changed the way that fashion is consumed, which means that the way that fashion functions within society, it takes up a different role than it ever did before. Fashion right now is a cultural communicator. It's a way to tell stories in these new mediums that never existed before. And it's very interesting because the Black experience has always been included within the fashion narrative, but very rarely from a Black point of view. So it's very, for me, I think, very inspiring to see stories that are genuine, actually, that are not tokenistic, that are not just my culture being viewed from an outsider's point of view and exoticizing something that then leads into becoming an identity which has actually nothing to do with the culture in question. So I think there's a certain sense of genuineness that people like Virgil and people like Pharrell and Ibrahim bring because the depth of the cultural narrative and experience is one that is coming from a person that has lived these experiences. So it's not just about looking at things that are interesting and then pulling out a discourse about beauty out of those things, but actually looking within and expressing from within what you see and what you feel. I think also for me, it really inspires me as a Black person creating fashion to be able to actually just speak from an honesty of my experience and what my life was actually like and not having to sensationalize my experience to try and get validification from the industry, but just to explore and express and to say what I see and to create fashion in a way that actually makes sense for me. So this is going to be a little bit of a speed round, but you know, I'm curious to hear how you all spend your time during London Fashion Week. I mean, where will I find all of you in those like four or five pack days when there's so much going on? Like, how is it that you find your inspiration? What do you, what is, where is it like if I'm being a cool hunter and I'm trying to figure out what's cool, where can I spot the stuff that you guys find interesting? I think that if you are really looking for what's cool, you have to check out Fantastic Twiles. It's this underground collective of designers who show random pop-ups all across London. And they're actually going to be doing one of their pop-ups on the Saturday and Sunday of Fashion Week. If you're a cool hunter, that's definitely a place that you can't miss. And then my show is happening on the 19th. Perfect. Bradley, where can we find you during Fashion Week? Me, more time, I'm minding my business, but I'll be watching <laughs> <laughs> I'll be watching shows, definitely supporting um all the designers that I um I'm interested in seeing that I'm excited about. Which designers would those be that you're interested in? No bias, but obviously whatever Gerard up to, I'm gonna definitely <laughs> be front row. You know, so Nash, obviously. Anything that Sol does, I'm I'm always there supporting him. Martin Rose. Okay, Saul Nash, Martine Rose, Jawara's show, Fantastic Twelve. Amber, what do you have to add to that illustrious Cool Hunter list? I'm looking forward to going to this special dinner, which is like happening at the backstage of Matty Bovon's show. But I love Fashion East. I love the Fashion East shows. I think Jawara's show last season was so incredibly epic. I'm looking forward to seeing his show again. I would love to go to like Moa Lola, Bianca Saunders, Charlotte Knowles, Chapova Lowena. Those are kind of my my faves. And Casey? I am in Jawara. Yes, absolutely. Soul, of course. 
And all the people that we kind of grown up with on the scene, partied with, you know, hung out with, went to school with. But also Moa Lola. I'm always excited by Moa Lola's show. I'll be there for that. I think she is such a renegade. And I think she really embodies punk. I think she's the most punk designer on the schedule. And it's a black woman and she's West African. She's from Lagos. It's incredible. Well, Skepta's doing a show. And that's quite interesting because he seems to have brought in um, a lot of his community into that. Um, so that could be an interesting show. That's on the Saturday night, I think, right? Yeah. So that's kind of like a relaunch situation. So I'm sure everyone's going to be intrigued by that. And then last but by no means least, Daniel Lee at Burberry. That's going to be exciting. I'm sure the second show. I'm looking forward to that as well. I think that's going to be really, really interesting. Okay. That's really helpful. There's going to be a lot of young people who want to be in your shoes listening to this podcast. I'd also love some advice. You guys have all found your own path, all in your own way, not without challenges. You know, my lesson from listening to all of you is when the systems and the structures and the kind of traditional establishment of fashion doesn't let you in. You have to build your own systems, your own community. You have to collaborate within that community. And you're all really great examples of that. But if you're advising the younger version of you that's feeling a bit lost, like where should you start, Jawara? Start within, figure it out what you love and just keep doing it. Do not stop. Like whatever negative reactions you have to your thing, if it's your thing and you're passionate about it, just keep going, keep going. You will eventually find the people around you that actually get it and that it makes sense. And it's definitely going to pay off, but never stop doing what you love. Bradley. Advice? I would say a couple of things, really. Similar to what Jara just said, I think you just got to, like, start with yourself. Obviously, your journey of self is a journey within itself. But, like, once you can find love for yourself and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to say and, like, I guess a purpose to things, it makes it easier to kind of communicate that in the world. And, like, similar to what we've kind of covered today about, like, finding your tribe, I think that's obviously crucial to kind of doing anything and having fun. A lot of the times with creativity, it is quite an um, individual thing that you're kind of exploring, like your passions and trying to like make something happen. But once you actually start trying to do it, it's nice doing it with like a little team, having some friends around just to celebrate it and feel good. And I think what I would say in terms of advice is as soon as you start, always celebrate even like the smallest of little wins. Because I think everyone's always looking for that big thing to then be like, yeah, you don't know, don't matter. And, but really, it's like, you know, the small things along the way, because like everyone remembers that time that you did that thing and that touched that other person and whatever else. So I feel like, yeah, just find ways that you can align yourself with like-minded people and support what they're trying to do and vice versa. Amber? I feel like I've lived nine lives since I've been here, but... When I came, I knew absolutely no one. And I think it's really important to firstly, just have confidence in yourself. Don't be afraid to approach people or bother them. How I paved my way a lot was just really emailing people, not being afraid to ask for advice, not being afraid to also get structural feedback or criticism about things. And I think along the way as well, as everyone said, it's really important to be yourself because I think that's how you're going to find, genuinely find the people you connect with. And just to be casual, I think sometimes when people insert themselves in the fashion industry, 
which is a misconception I had. I thought you had to be super professional, but then it's the fashion industry. You know, there are covers with people who are topless and bums and all of these crazy things. It's literally like this group of insane people. Don't be afraid to be yourself, have fun, go out as well. I think that's the best way to meet people. You'll find your way. Obviously, make sure you're continuously putting out work and just not really caring what other people have to say in a negative sense. Experience is very personal and you can only kind of trust where you want to go and your intuition of what you want to do. And um, also trying new things and finding, again, yeah, what you want to say in the landscape, really. And Casey. I have two things. I think jumping off of what Amber said, I don't think I've even told this story ever publicly, but I was the content intern at Farfetch in my third year of university. And the reason why I got it was because in my second year, I had the absolute audacity. I don't know why or how I even did this. I like insane. But I emailed the founder and CEO of Farfetch. I emailed Jose and he responded to me. I was like, oh, great. Like I'll connect you with my assistant. I'm sure he has no idea like who I am to this day, but I emailed him and he responded. I was like, I'll connect you with my assistant. And a year later, I kind of reached back out and, and they was like, yeah, no, like we've got this internship, apply for it, applied for it. And I, and I got it in the end. And I think I was actually the first content intern at Farfetch because of that just audacity. So listen to Amber's advice, definitely just do it. <laughs> you never know what might happen. But then from my own personal advice, I think with fashion in particular, it's a means of communication and it's like a muscle that you kind of have to flex and you kind of have to exercise at will and it needs to express things, a multitude of things. I think like the length of a skirt or trousers is banal, but the reason behind those lengths rising or falling and that context is key. That's the important thing. I love how that can inform just everything. There's an escapism to that. And I think in those in the escapism, in the dream, in the in the possibilities, that's where you kind of need to find yourself and create work that's that's expressive and that reflects back to the communities and yourself. I think that's what's key for me. I always want to reflect back to the community. I always want people to open dazed and look in it and be like, oh my gosh, and see things that they can recognize and see things that's aspirational and see things that are exciting, interesting. And I think that's key to a lot of people's success, just being able to reflect a reality because even in the dreams and the escapism, there is a reality and in that possibility that, you know, there is the reality of these dreams becoming real. And I think you kind of never want to forget that, you know, keep on dreaming, but also be very, very conscious that those dreams can one day be a reality. Be subversive, have fun. Don't be too serious either. Never be too serious. No one likes somebody too serious. Well, thanks to all of you for sharing your experiences and your advice. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be super helpful for lots of people. It was helpful for me, actually. There's some good guidance there. And um, just hearing how you're all navigating your careers, your creativity, fashion in London has been very, very helpful. So thank you so much. And I hope for those of you listening that there's some nuggets of advice and some really practical advice on where you should spend your time if you're joining us in London for Fashion Week this season. So uh, it is shaping up to be an interesting one. You know, London Fashion Week's been in a bit of a funk recently, but all of you have given me some inspiration of where I can 
also look to find some true inspiration and creativity. So that's all for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you, Casey and Amber, Jawara, Bradley, for your advice and your time. And I look forward to bumping into you all, maybe at Fantastic Twelves. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. The BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF Studio team. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.